0: Yes, yes. Welcome in to the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, a podcast presented by Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet and Design Air Heating and Cooling. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan. And oh, we have questions from the audience for you. Coming up, we have Joe Buck, which will debut on Sunday sat down with Joe in the home loan expert.com studios this week. And, uh, as, as the kid, Joe sat down and he goes, I don't know. I he goes, I, I was thinking about this interview and I don't know what we're going to talk about. I said, trust me, we'll be, we'll be good. And then sure enough, we did like an hour and 10 minutes and why could have gone much longer, but it's just all rant. So I would recommend that one. Bill McClellan this week. I've gotten a lot of, um, emails on that. And, and honestly, kind of thinking of the audience I had a feeling some people really would be like, Oh, I know who Bill McClellan is. I don't know if I'm going to listen to that one, but people have listened and they've really enjoyed it. And that's good because I do the same thing with podcasts. I'll look who my, the, the hosts I like, who their guests are. And, uh, Oh, like, uh, the four play podcast on barstool had Bryson DeChambeau on yesterday and, uh, or two days ago and over the slow play controversy and his conversation with Kepka. And I'm like, Oh, I want to listen to that. So some, and I get it. I'm telling you the McClellan interview Give me the benefit of the doubt and listen to it. And you'll be, you'll be happy that you did. Um, if you're going, oh, I know he's the post-dispatch guy and he's on Brook. That's not really my thing. You'll be very happy. The maroon one, if you haven't listened, you'll be very happy you did. And Joe Buck goes without saying, you'll be happy you did. All those guests are presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, online at evergreenstl.com. He ties into one of the questions and the questions from the audience. And I don't know if this was an email question or if this was on the TMA fan page. But when I saw the question, I thought, oh, this is going to lead into my, uh, my Mark Hanna endorsement. Um, let's see. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Uh, tick-tock. Uh, let's see if it isn't this one. Oh, I don't think. Uh, this is great podcasting here. Uh, Well, anyway, the question was, uh, what, uh, would you do differently? Something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. It was, it was, it was much better stated than, Hey, what would you do differently? And I thought, Oh, that's easy. I would like, what would you tell yourself 20 years ago if you could go back? And I'd be like, Oh, it's easy. Money management. hundred percent. hundred percent. I, I can pull up the TMA fan page. Maybe I can get the right answer. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 uh, truly bothers me. It's kind of why I always have this pause anytime I go into the Marcana because, uh, it's, it's, it's something that it just, it just, it just kind of gets me, especially because it wasn't like, oh yeah, well, here's the reason why I, I just messed up. I mean, there's no, there's no way around it. And, uh, and I'm disappointed in myself. And that's why every time I do this read, um, I, uh, I kind of go into the same thing, which is, you know, I really wish that I would have managed my money differently. And when I talk about Mark Hanna, I know that he can get you on the right track. He's online at evergreenstl.com. Here it is. Here's the question. Uh, It was on the fan page. What is one thing... That your parents didn't teach you. Ah know, see, this is kind of an indictment of my parents, but that's not fair. That you're going to make sure you teach your son. See, it was way better than what do you what would you do differently? Uh, for example, my mom was a single mom of four, and between work and taking care of all of us kids, no one really taught me how to cook real meals. I always tell my wife that we're going to have our future children help make dinner at least once a week so they can learn how to make different meals. That's a great I didn't even I didn't even finish the, the post when I read it initially. I think about that too. God. So number one, what is the one thing? My pa- It's not that my parents didn't teach me. I guess what I would say, and people have asked about me having my dad in for a podcast. And I, I just, I really, I don't want to do it because I feel like my dad doesn't know, like I know to filter, even though I don't filter much, I still know the area, like the, the, uh, what do they call those? The hard areas in hockey, uh, the areas that you know certainly i have opinions on but i also know that in 2019 which is going to lead to one of the questions that are probably I'll spend the most time on today the cancel culture um that it could destroy my career it's a theme that we had with joe buck actually um regarding social media in the interview that you're going to hear in a few days um so i know to i know to stay away from him um not to say that my dad's like, you know, drunk uncle with it's, it's not, a, he's a great man with a great heart. And if I'm dead serious, he is, it, it's, it there's, I don't know if there's a better feeling as a son to have people love and respect your father as much as people love and respect my father. Um, and he, don't get me wrong. He drove him up the wall too, cause he was hard, but uh, people love him, and so people want to hear me interview him. And then for, for my son's purpose and then my brother's children uh, to be able to hear their grandfather and always have that, that's where the value comes in. The issue is I'm just like, we're just going to start weeping. I, I don't even know where the fuck we'll start weeping. I know he will, and then I probably will, and then it's going to be a whole mess. And then Gangster Pete, you get notoriously blamed for weeping. I don't know if you'll weep because you usually start weeping over the blues and the Stanley Cup. But you'll be in here with two guys, a father and son crying, and that's in your wheelhouse, the father-son. It could get emotional. It could get it, I know. it. I, for me, it would. And then they, I know we're going to talk about some things that I don't know about. You know? I mean, he lost his father at a young age, um, which is why he is a self-made guy, which is why. And I'm glad, I guess, I don't get worked up over it because it is a little irritating. Like, And it's not that people seriously, but there were some people in broadcasting when I first started, like, oh, he only got his job because of his dad. And, and I'm like, do you really think... Who was it that owned KMOV Belo, which I would imagine was in New York or LA really gives a damn about a guy who sells radio advertising in St. Louis. If you really want to make that stretch for your own shortcomings in your career, but if it makes people feel better then great, but that was 20 years ago. But there are things that I, I don't, you know, I'm sure I don't know, but he had to bust his ass because his dad died at a young age and he had two, uh, two sisters and one brother and, uh, and the world changed for them out of nowhere. He had a heart attack. And I just know that that's going to get into, so his mom, as I'm sure many of your either parents or grandparents talking to the listeners, uh, grew up in the depression. And, and if you grew up in the depression, your idea of managing money is much different than probably people who do not have relatives who are around them who grew up in the depression. Which is something, you know, when I was like 10 and, you know, and he's, you know, like, like I said, I was, I mean, he had me bussing tables. He had me get a job at 14, bussing tables at Pietro's. Um, And I, I still, you know, it's been, uh, what are we talking here? 27 years. And I don't like that. And I, I, and it's, I, I just, I think the reason I don't like it is it took away from um, enjoying youth I mean, When when I was going home on Friday afternoons from St. Louis U High back to South City, which most of my classmates were not making that same trek back to South St. Louis, um, and they're all getting ready to go to a slew football game or basketball game and looking forward to the weekend, I was getting ready to be miserable bussing tables. And I don't, you know, I don't know, maybe we'd talk about that, but I just, I just disagree with it. I disagree with it. Now, some people might say, well, that's why you h- work hard or whatever the hell somebody want to say, or consumed with work. Maybe it'd be that better way to say it. Um, which I don't know if that's necessarily a, a great thing. Um, I certainly didn't have stuff handed to me, even though I guess that would go against the, the kind of like running joke on the show. Um, that, I, that I think was good. And I would, I would want to do the same thing with my son on that, but I don't think I would want to have my son working on Friday and Saturday nights while he's and working during the week, bussing tables in high school. I don't know. I just, so that's one of those things that like some of those things, like you look back on, you know, it made made sense. And I didn't like it at the time. And, but that one, that one bothers me because I think it kind of like arrested my development. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't like that one, but the reason I bring it up with regard to the question, is he was very money conscious because his mom grew up in the depression and his dad died when he was young and he had a four person family. And so he had to start working at a young age. And for as much as he cared, cares about money and monitoring it, I just, you know, for whatever reason, it just, it I, I never got, I never got that talk. um, And, you know, again, it's the buck stops here. It's my fault. But, uh, but it's really, uh, something that I will make sure with my son, he understands the program because now I get it. But I mean, I'm 42, you know, uh, and there was an opportunity to do a hell of a lot more at a younger age. So I consider that to be I mean, in a big way, and and, and, the, th- and the shame of it is he, he knows about it, so he certainly could have. But uh, again, it's my fault. But I just I just didn't know. It's like oh, I'm making this much money, so therefore I will spend this much money. I mean, just in, I'm sure some of you are listening going, oh my god, Tim, what the hell? And I I didn't have debt. I just spent what I made, and saved very little. And now, I mean, it's I mean it's it's budgeted. I'll get my. Uh, my check from KFNS uh, here tomorrow and immediately like, you know, I mean, it's, it's already set up where everything's going. So, you know, which I'm sure a lot of you are like, yeah, isn't that the way it works? I mean, I figured that out at 16. Yeah, you probably did. I didn't. So if you are listening to this and going, Oh crap, I'm doing what you did when you were in your twenties, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, evergreenstl.com. Great guy. And he's going to set you right, but that's what I needed. Uh, And regarding the cooking thing, which I didn't read when I initially read the question on the fan page, Man, could I not agree more with that? Could not agree more with that. I am, um, and I look at it, I, there there's so many elements of that from a health standpoint, number one, um, really being the main reason. But also I do think there's some value to just family spending time together and doing something that you need to do anyway, which is, you know, eat dinner. But the cooking thing, because I'm kind of flying blind on that. Um, I mean, I, I, I would be D level serviceable is the way I would describe it. Now I do eat metabolic meals. I have eaten metabolic meals since 2010, my metabolic meals.com big fan, but not every single night, but with my metabolic meals, I'm just reheating the meals and they're prepared and they're healthy. And, but, but still like for Jameson's purposes. Yeah. I mean, there's just not, that's the, I barbecue, but I mean, as far as like getting my way around the kitchen and the, weather in St. Louis, you know, from October through March or April, that's, uh, you know, that limits you because you're not, I mean, some people barbecue and that stuff, but, uh, so yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that in a big way. I, uh, I like that play. That's a, that was an astute question on questions from the audience. All right, let me go into the email inbox, uh, because I know there were some that I really liked from the email inbox and, uh, and see what we've got going on here uh, today. Um, I know you don't like to compare eras, different eras of TMA. Well, that's not true. I've never said that before, but I am curious about your thoughts on TMA as of now. Number one, what is your favorite part of TMA in 2019? Uh, so just respectfully, which I guess now is considered to be like a condescending thing, which is not intended to be. I'm, I mean it when I say it, because I just don't want it to come off the wrong way, but I'm just, I also don't just want to go along with something that I know is not true. I've never said I don't like to compare different eras. If I have it, it's not in the context of, oh, you know, I refuse to do it. It's because sometimes some things might've been going on behind the scenes that people didn't know, uh, favorite part of TMA now. And I guess I got to compare and contrast it. I love that we don't have guests. Um, I guess I could have, you know, done that earlier anyway. Um, but I just, I prefer, I, I would, I feel like the show is at its best when we're just bullshitting. And I've known that for a while. Um, but yet like at eight o'clock or eight there'd be like a, a cardinal guest and then it would just kind of grind to a halt. And I'd ask a question of Rick Hummel and then Doug would ask a question of Rick Hummel that had nothing to do with what Rick Hummel just said. And then the cat would ask a question of Rick Hummel that had nothing to do with what Rick Hummel just said. And then I'd ask a question of Rick Hummel that, Rick, that had nothing to do with what Rick Hummel. Just said. It was like a press conference, terrible radio. Um, like, if like for those of you who enjoy this podcast and you like the interviews, the reason why the interviews work is because they're conversations. They're not really interviews. If, it, if I just was sitting here with Joe Buck yesterday and just, like, had a list, so what do you think of the Cardinals at the trade deadline? What was it like to see the Blues win the Stanley Cup? It would fucking suck. So they're conversations. And when you have a guest on and you have three hosts unless one person just does the interview and then everybody in the audience goes, wow, why is Tim not letting Doug or the cat talk? Or why is Doug not letting Tim and the cat talk or whatever? Uh, they, they become like press conferences and there's bad radio. Now there's standard in St. Louis radio. And I think maybe sports talk radio around the country. I don't know. I don't really listen where you have multiple hosts. Um, and guests are kind of like this thing that you do, but it's, you know, it's, it, that's not our style of radio. I realize for some that is, for like if you like the hardcore sports stuff. But if you like that, you're not listening to this anyway, so I'm not even talking, you know. But that's not what we do. I'd be bored. I, somebody could double my salary and say, but you can only talk about sports. And I go, I'm out. I'm not interested. No, thank you. Um, So uh, my favorite part of TM, I mean, but I mean, really, Uh, but I mean, this is, I can't say we all get, because we, I mean, almost... For every single year of the show, we have all gotten along. Um, There have been blips over the fifteen years now, um, which I guess you would kind of expect. It's it's like when I watch like things on bands, um, like behind the music, and it's like they'll focus on like you know take your pick of who and who had a. It's kind of like yeah, I mean you have those things pop up, but. For the most part, and when I say for the most part, I'm talking about 98% plus of the time. We all just, it's not like, again, as I always say, it's not like we're like, we like hang out. Uh, and I think it's good that we don't hang out. I think it'd be weird if like three hung out and then like three didn't or something. I think that'd be odd. Um, and maybe unhealthy. And by unhealthy, I'm not talking about unhealthy personally. I'm talking about it might not be good if like there felt like there was a click on the show. So there isn't that. Um, I always, as I said in questions from the audience last week, when I was asked why I didn't get into the political when Doug and the plowhawk or Doug and the cat or whoever arguing. And I said, and if you didn't listen last week, and this is the main reason in the audience's eyes. And I still think in some of the people on the show's eyes, maybe everybody on the show's eyes, I'm still perceived as the boss, even though I know I'm not. And so if the boss comes in or he who is perceived as the boss, and then, like, has a counterpoint, then it can be like an, oh, you know, so-and-so is up against the boss, and he better be careful. And I don't want that to be the case. And then, oftentimes, I just don't have a strong opinion. Um, but that is that is one of the reasons. I mean, for a show to stick together, you know, I mean, me and the cat are the only two who are around from the very beginning. But Doug has been around since 2007. Iggy has been on and off for... 10 plus years, uh, Plowhawk has been a part of it for five or six, five, I think. And then Pete a year and, you know, I mean, there's been a handful of producers like for real count them on one hand, uh, producers of the show over 15 years, you know, there, there's obviously a culture, so to speak, I don't even know because the culture would make it sound like there's some kind of plan. But I mean, it's just, it just, it just, whatever it is, it just works. Mainly, I think, because people are just, for the most part, just able to do what we do and then, you know, left alone, at least amongst uh, the six of us. Um, so I'm grateful for that. And I'm also aware there's nothing you can do about it, though. It's like uh, when Joe and I were talking about our children, you know, Joe has twins who are uh, 15 months, and I have a son who's turning two. And, uh, and Joe says, but I already know how the book ends. And I go, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, I mean, I've already seen my two older daughters, both of whom I think I know one for sure is in her twenties and one is right around 20 sophomore at USC. He already sees like that transition as he called it a metamorphosis from like high school to college. And I guess I kind of, I kind of sensed like the sadness that some parents will talk about, like when parent, when the kids grow up and they move out, um, or the sadness that fathers may have when their sons go from being their buddies to no longer wanting to be seen in public with their dads like talking about that breaks my heart um but it's part of the deal so you know it's like people say wow doesn't that suck that you have to do that I go yeah but I mean think about this I get to do this so it's kind of like the cost of doing business um and I wouldn't have it any other way but i imagine that will be difficult and that's what joe is making reference to And so when, um, asked about, you know, TMA, because I got a little taste of it in 2007, uh, and we've certainly had some, you know, situations over the years where you think it might be coming to an end, or you think this person might not be part of the show anymore, whatever the case might be. There's just, there's, there's a greater awareness in 2019 than there was in 2009, probably because it's, it's bigger now, but but also it's 10 years later that it won't last forever. And so I am conscious of appreciating how fortunate at the very least I am. And I think the other people on the show would say it, but maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. Everybody's situation's different. That we have this thing that we get to do, not that we have to do, that we get to do that. We were essentially paid to come in and fuck off and laugh I mean, that is because I know that I'm not going to have that forever. And maybe I will. It certainly won't be with this group because it's just going to, it inevitably changes. I mean, shit, the original show was Martin Kilcoin and producer Joe along with me and the cat. That's changed. It will change. It inevitably will change. And the change will be met with resistance and the standard of the show is over. And I've lived through that with countless people. And then I have to now remind people about what they said when they said the show was over and like that person gone. Oh, there's no way I ever said that. I'm like, well, you know, you did. Um, but I know the program and that's the way it's going to be. And it'll either just all come to an end or, uh, it'll gradually, whatever the case might be. Now it doesn't mean that I would leave broadcasting or podcasting, but, um, so, so the reason I say that is I'm conscious of there is a shelf life. Now, I don't know how much longer it could be long. Uh, and that by long, I mean like, you know, hell 10 years. Um, but it most likely won't be. And, uh, and so when you have something and you know that the majority of the public don't, again, I want to emphasize the words get to do something they love. And even if they do love it, it probably doesn't involve laughing. Uh, and then have a lot of people laugh with you who are listening to it and really get into it. I mean, that's just, that is so fortunate. It's so fortunate. So I think when I, when you ask what my favorite part of a TMA, it's the appreciation that I have now for it versus before, um, that even if, as I said, I think I've said this God probably 20 times on, on this, this podcast, that even if it ended today, I would be like, man, I mean, now at this point, it's been almost 20 years that I've worked in the market, which my goal was to just get here by the time I was 30. Uh, so I just, I truly feel lucky. That's, 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 what it is i truly feel lucky like i know that probably isn't the answer people want to hear but that's that's what that's how i think that's what i feel gangster Pete, you've been a part of the show for a year i'm going to put you on the spot you probably weren't expecting this you've been a listener and now you are a producer your favorite part of tma in 2019 the hunchback of Von castle's question
1: i mean my favorite thing is that i get to come in and just laugh with people that i enjoy being around yeah uh i'm not a morning person so that took a little bit to get used to, but i it's not even hard for me to get out of bed because I know that I'm going to go do something that I enjoy doing. Yeah. Like, it's fun.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, that that sums up my answer. I would think that, because the cat says that often, and it, it just kind of unsolicited, he'll talk about, you know, I've been up to, since one in the morning, or I just flew in from New York. We were in, you know, City Field against the Mets. But I'm looking forward because I know I'm going to come in and I'm going to laugh, you know? And that's that's the thing. That's the thing that stands out. Now, I think the, the question probably was like, what's your favorite, like, element of the show, like, bit or something like that? But, you know, I don't know. I mean, I find email, the to me. I'll tell you what, what makes me laugh constantly, the text. That's, I mean, we. it's like having, like, 300 writers, you know? I mean, that's what we have. And so many of these are good. And, and also, I think to the credit of those who don't have the wit of those who more often than not get read, they just, they just sit the plays out. They don't even try anymore, which is good because, you know, you know, sometimes you can't hit the ball 330 yards like everybody on tour and you just have to go, okay, well, I'm going to hit it 220 and just enjoy playing. Yeah. Don't try to compete and get me. I think initially we had some people like, how come you don't read my text? You only pick your favorite. It's like your shit's not good. You know, sorry. It didn't make the album, you know, but it, it didn't get any good. Uh, and then the second question is, is there anything you would uh, like to change or do differently in TMA moving forward? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, if you're talking about business wise, it might make sense for at least me to do six to seven. It would not make sense. I mean, I guess it would if they didn't have to do TV for the cat and Doug to do six to seven. Again, I'm thinking of this business wise. Um, I try to walk a fine line of, I am not the boss. Even though I think that the people on the show, Pete, do you think that perception is that the people on the show still look at me as being in charge?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say that they'd look at you as being in charge. You're kind of like the founding father of the whole thing. Kind of that kind of deal.
0: So I'm careful. Like, so that, that, that politics was a question last week and I just was recording it in my basement. So you weren't there when I can't, I think it was recaps asked why I tune out of the politics discussions or why I don't get involved, not tune out. Although sometimes I do tune out. And my reason was, I feel like, and I don't know about everybody. I don't think you do, but you weren't working here when I was, the boss. Um, I don't know what Iggy thinks. I don't think the cat views me that way. But I do think Doug and the Plowhawks still look at me as kind of the guy in charge. Even though they know, they know I'm not, I still think they look at me that way. And so they're the ones, more often than not, getting in the arguments on the politics. And then if I were to get involved, then it'd be like, oh shit, now my boss is getting involved, and if I line up on the other side, it might make it awkward. Does that make sense, or am I overthinking I think
1: you're overthinking a little bit. I actually think it would be more interesting if you got involved, because I know that you have a little different views than they do on some things. Yeah,
0: I don't know. And then also part of it is the way I talk. I know, because my wife tells me this when we argue, it's so this way, like I'm not going to raise my voice, and so then that can be mistaken for being condescending. Like some people really like when they I, hear people. I pitch get that raise. a lot too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess we do have a, both that thing going, right? Uh, so that's that's another part. But of
1: also, that. those a lot of those arguments, there's never like an end to them. Also, so like once you get in, it just it could go the whole show,
0: right? Well, but that's because I don't like if I were fired up about something, and I guess I don't get fired up on the air about much because I'm careful to try to keep uh, my cool on things. That, uh, but that's not certainly been across the board. There have been exceptions that if I were fired up about something and like Doug or the plow goes, okay, let's move on. That would piss me off, you know? So if right. they're fired up, I don't feel like it's my place to stop the fight, so to speak. So no, I,
1: no, I totally get that. That's, just, that's what's hard about it. Yeah,
0: I know. And it doesn't happen. I, you know, I, the, the only time I step in on things on li- like that is when, um, when somebody says something that I know is factually incorrect or that a credible source is reporting that what is being said in the argument is not correct. Otherwise, have opinions and god bless if i don't agree with them but uh you know you know i don't know i just don't know if there's much i would ch- i guess i like having sound on the show i like being able to throw to that but uh and so maybe i would do something as far as getting that more intricate um but yeah i don't know i mean i i just like i like being able to talk for 3 hours with guys whose opinion um I really respect, even if it differs, like I differ in a major way politically from Doug, obviously. Um, but I respect his opinion. And, you know, and it's not like Doug like shouts me down if I have a differing opinion, you know. I and some people want Doug shouted down. They're like, Tim, how come you won't shout him down? Like it's his opinion. And the number of people, especially in this area, share his opinion. And I, I don't think it's I don't think it's my play. I'll just go, okay, well, you think this. Here is why I think this, but I'm not going to like, sh- I just, I just disagree with that. Um, nor would I want me to be shouted down. So that's the thing. Treat others how you would want to be treated. Uh, good question though. Hunchback of von castle. Uh, let's see what we got. Uh, Tim, a little background for the basis of my question. I've been a TMA listener since after my senior year of high school, when I was cleaning toilets at the local school district for my summer job, I'm now finishing up my second internship in Nashville, Tennessee, going into my senior year of college. My soon to be career path has potential to take me anywhere in the U S with options to chase money or settle down when I want. With that said, I have a few huge decisions to make in the near future and would like to hear your thoughts. I am honored when, uh, looks like this person's at, uh, well, I guess I probably shouldn't give the email address not that he would care since there's tens of thousands of people going to the school, but somebody in college is listening to the program. It's great to see the audience continue to get younger. What were slash are your motivators behind the direction you take your life as far as career relationships, marriage location, etc.? For me personally, I just want to be satisfied and content with the work I do and relationships. I build along the way. P.S. Being a janitor is honestly one of the best jobs I've ever had. Low stress. Don't deal with people. And, uh, I get to podcast all day. Uh, it's a good question. And, you know, in the last 24, I guess, 26 hours to be exact, I've seen a few people post. Uh, we've had this in the text inbox and then also on the TMA fan page that getting older is all about regret. And I think that I think that I think the way that I think they both meant it because it was two different people who posted this. And like I said, and the, the audience said, no, that one of these came unless maybe I read it. Uh, I remember Stephen Wildwood was one of the people who texted that in. And I do feel like he's kind of like the Yoda of TMA texts because he says things that might not really sound popular, but when people like strip them away, they're like, shit, he's right. Uh, Is the regrets you have as you, um, as you age. So yeah, when you're 20, you probably don't have regrets because you don't have a real uh, sample size. I mean, what are you, what are you going to regret? You know, like getting, busted with take your pick of narcotics or DUI or whatever. I mean, certainly you regret those things. But once you're in your 40s, maybe 30s, you can look back and go, God, ah. So I absolutely have things in my life, for real, that when I think of them, and I can be by myself when I think of them, I actually go, ah, I really make that sound. Uh, It doesn't happen often. And by that, I mean, I don't think about them often often, but when it happens and maybe it's like once a month and I'll think about, and it's maybe like two or three things and I'll just, and it's more like disappointment myself, actually, I'll just go, ah, God, I can't believe I did that. Um, so I don't know if that's true, but I just happen to see two people post that. And then when it was posted, I then thought, yeah, you know, I guess maybe there's something, or you think about what if I would have done this now um, what my, ah, are more like, just like, God, I can't believe I did that more so than professional, which I think is what the f- focus of your question is, uh, JW. Uh, but you do ask about relationships, marriage location ties into both personal and professional for me, I had blinders on, which was which were born out of um, really just y- youthful naivete. And by that, I mean, I truly was a sophomore in high school, thinking I was going to play Major League Baseball. truly thought that, wasn't working on it, just thought I was going to. Never, outside of making all-star teams at Afton, which is not like, you know, not like necessarily a ticket to playing at uh, Division one, uh it's not like I was anything special, but just in my mind, that's what I thought. And then when I got cut from everything, truly from everything, which might have been a good thing, but I'm telling you, going through it, it was brutal. When I got cut from football, from SLU, and that wasn't that big of a deal, although it's just kind of amusing looking back because they hardly cut anybody. But at the time I didn't it wasn't that big of a deal because, you know, it's not like I really cared or played football. Um, but I mean, I was five to a hundred pounds. So it was, it truly was a safety situation for, uh, St. Louis U high basketball was tough because I really was good. But again, you're talking about good in South St. Louis grade school, Catholic school basketball. So again, the sample size now looking back on it was asinine, but I was good for that but not when you're bringing in, you know, 250 kids from around St. Louis. I'm sure many of whom already knew they were going to play there. And some of whom were like six, six. Uh, and then uh, the baseball one though was the one that the basketball one was tough because I remember that was like at the exact same time that my uh, dog was run over right in front of me on Tam Avenue. Uh, and I wasn't really enjoying my time at St. Louis Hugh High because of what I said earlier Nobody from my neighborhood went there, not nobody, but like two guys from my grade school. And I did, I barely knew anybody and you can't drive at that time. And it was just really, it was just a tough thing. And then I'm fucking bussing tables at pH. It was a, it was a tough time. I'm sure some of the weird shit I still have going on at 42 was, was born in those years of 14, 15, 16 years old, I'm, I'd, I'd bet everything on it. We need to, like I always say, this should really be just called therapy, this podcast. Um, and then getting cut from baseball was just like, you've got to be. So I get cut from the freshman team at St. Louis U High. On that one, I mean, I think, I look back on that. And who was the coach? Don Maurer, who coached varsity basketball. And then he went on to coach at MICDS. And I think he might've won state titles there. So I guess probably just as part of his job, they like, oh, go, and you also, you get to be varsity basketball coach, but you also have to coach freshman baseball. And he's like, fine. You know, I mean, it's not what he's there for. And then you have how many, you have 250 kids in the class. I would imagine a hundred came out for the team. You can only keep what, maybe 25, that might be high. And what are you going to do? We get like three swings and a couple ground balls hit to us. I mean, they don't know. But for, for those of us trying out, it's like the biggest moment ever. Uh, and I get cut. I think I made it through first cuts, but then I got cut and, and it was devastating. And I swear to you, and this is true. And I guess you can either look at it as being a tip of the cap to me or looking going, oh my God, you are really fucked in the head. But from that day forward, I swear it's the truth. And it might've really fucked me up as far as like growth goes. But I was in the gym working out the next day, every day, uh, at least school days, um, until tryouts the next year when I made the team and I was the starting second baseman. And I worked with the varsity coach on just like fundamentals. Like we we called it the tip of the day, Steve Nicoleroth, the coach. And he would uh, give us like a fundamental tip just to like do. And he just was humoring us and probably was amused by the whole thing. Uh, He wants to have me on his podcast. So I'm sure we'll relive that. Because uh, he's become a well known baseball coach in, in in the St. Louis area. But I was, it was like there was no way I was going to get cut my sophomore year. There was no way under any circumstances. So it became, you know, I willed it to happen. And then I worked so hard and I wasn't bad initially. I was the leadoff hitter. So I was a starting second baseman and leadoff hitter. And then I developed Ricky Ankeel. You know, except I wasn't a pitcher, but what, for my position, Steve Sachs, Chuck Knoblock. I couldn't throw the ball to first base if I had time to think about it. Fucking terrible. So when I did the Cardinal Fantasy Camp this year, I hadn't fielded a ground ball since the mid-90s, and I'm I'm dead serious. When I went down there, I'm like, I'm worried this is going to come back. For real. Um, It didn't, but at the same time, I think more often than not in that fantasy camp, they put me in center field. Cause I was one of the few guys who could run. <laughs> and so I sort of cover for the purpose of covering ground. So I never really had that, uh, you know, and then the one time I had a throw, it would have been from center field to home on a guy tagging. And I thought that's ah, the last day of camp and I don't want to get hurt for golf. So I'm not going to throw the ball, which as you can imagine delighted manager, Alan Bennis, uh, when he saw me just kind of toss it in and let the guy score very impressed. But, Um, I was, I was consumed with that. And then once high school baseball and I got cut my junior year and that was a whole nother thing where I got cut, but Nicole Rot created what was called a taxi squad, which he had never done before to allow, this is true. Like we really probably do need to talk about this on the podcast, uh, because I don't know what this was about, but it did happen. So this is 1993, I guess my junior year. Um, and he had told me my sophomore year, he was like penciling in the rosters. He was driving me one day and he goes, okay, we have you and Phil at second base. And I'm like, oh sweet. I'm already. And then I, he's like, well, you're just not, you're not good enough to be on the team, but you're good enough to be on like a practice squad. And so he created a taxi squad, which is an odd thing. And so we'd get to go to the games and we could sit on the bench with the pants, but not the Jersey. This is true. And I remember I did it for one game, we played uh, like Waterloo or something, and one won nothing, and we won because we stole home and we got no hit, true. Uh, but that was, he played whitey ball. And I think it was my dad who was so, just like beside himself over what had happened, that he like, he wanted me to not do that. Whereas I was kinda like, well, I don't have anything else to do. What am I gonna do? I'll be bussing tables at Pietro's if I, if I don't do it, so fine. I'll go to practice and sit on the bench. What does it matter? I would have been sitting on the bench anyway, but I think it was like a pride thing for him. But for me, I'm like, oh, I'll do it. And then I'll probably make the team my senior year. And, uh, but, you know, I think when you have, you know, influence from someone you respect saying this is bullshit, uh, and it's insulting, and I didn't, I didn't, I still, and it's, I don't think about it. It's the first time I've really thought about it in a long time. But since the question came up about how I kind of got to my career decision, this certainly played a role in it, um, that I did leave the taxi squad thing, then try it out senior year. And I remember the guys who were on the team the year before I go, God, we're fucked. You're easily the best second baseman. <laughs> And then I got cut in the first round of cuts, and I'm like, I got cut in the first round of cuts because I quit the taxi squad, no doubt in my mind. And then the other two guys who did do the taxi squad made the team, so I'm, I, I'm certain of that. And if I do appear on Coach Nicole Rod's podcast, we will break this down, and I'm sure he'll this podcast will get back to him and he'll listen to it, and I will bet everything I have that that's the reason because it's not like I was great, but I certainly didn't deserve to cut in the first cuts, but it was, I know that's what it was about. Whatever. In the whole scheme of things, I don't give a shit, but since we're talking about it, it became okay, clearly I'm not going to play in the major leagues if I can't make the fucking team in high school. All right, so we so now we have our moment of clarity. And then the moment of clarity leads to, okay, well, if I'm not going to play major league baseball, what am I going to do? And it just so happened, I was watching in my house, uh, my parents, my dad's a Subway alum with Notre Dame, and my mom actually went to school at St. Mary's because it wasn't co-ed at the time, and it's right across the street from Notre Dame. That was the female Notre Dame uh, in South Bend. And so she's a legitimate alum. And my uh, uncle did go to school there, alumna. Uh, and uh, and so Lou Holtz press conference was on. And I remember him saying that the key to being happy in life is to find something you love to do and find somebody dumb enough to pay you to do it. And at that moment, being vulnerable emotionally and mentally, I'm like, okay, those are the, my, the words I'm going to live by. I can't play Major League Baseball. I'm fucking miserable bussing tables at Pietro's. Miserable. Hated it, and I thought to myself, "I've I got to make sure that I don't have this feeling going to work every day." And so I was like, "Okay, what can I do? I'll be a broadcaster. I'll cover the Cardinals. That's what I'll do. That's how I'll be around it because that's what I loved." And so then, then the same blinders I had after getting cut from the baseball team at St. Louis U. High, where I started working out for real every day, which I I remember Steve Schnur, who quarterbacked St. Louis U. High to the state championship game and then quarterback Northwestern to Rose bowl against USC. And I think 95, he was in there and he, whatever we, you know, I mean, he was a couple years older than me, but he'd see me in the reading is, you know, he goes, God, he goes, w- you know, maybe you shouldn't be lifting weights. You're not even, you know, at that time, cause I was young for my class, you know, it might not be good to be lifting weights before you've, you know, hit a growth spurt. Uh, and you can say now I, I still didn't hit a growth spurt, but the, the premise being, um, Hey, uh, you know, Lifting weights before the age of 15 might not be the best thing. And, you know, I don't know if that's the reason why I didn't hit six feet. I have no idea. It could have just been the cards that I was going to be dealt. But my brothers are taller. Um, But I was like, I got to be doing something to get closer to making the team. And even though that probably was not, definitely was not the thing to be doing. I should have been like in a cage. But indoor cages weren't as commonplace then as they are now. Uh, so I I just, that's what I did, and it became the blinders to make sure I did it, and that's that's what I did with broadcasting. Ryan Kelly is the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast, so make sure you're supporting our sponsor. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, and with interest rates dropping, and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in or if you want to refinance now's the time to do so ryan kelly's the person to do it with he is online at the home ryan kelly the studio sponsor of this program ryan kelly the home and so i remember looking at schools and this is on a whim you look back on this stuff and how these little things when you're like 15 or 16 can then like set the stage for the rest of your life but that's what it was like, would I have done this if I have made the team? For real, as dumb as that sounds. Uh, it's like, okay, what are the best uh, communication slash journalism schools? And I remember whoever it was, I guess my advisor saying, you know, obviously Missouri for journalism, Indiana, I think communications, uh, Miami, Ohio, a lot of St. Louis, high grads would go to Miami, Ohio. And so we looked at those and I just remember thinking, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't really, you know. I'm the oldest of four at that time. I had a three-year-old sister, you know, my parents, you know, we're going to have, you know, to put four kids through college still, you know, and the best journalism school in the country or at the very least one of the top three at that time with Missouri, Syracuse and Northwestern is right down the road and I can go in state. I'll just go there. And so that's what I did. And so then I get into journalism school thinking for whatever reason, that's going to lead to play by play. And then the first day, it's like, oh, shit, this is like doing TV news. I have zero interest in TV news. I don't want to anchor sports, but that's not, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm a junior. This is what I'm in. And that's what wound up happening. And then I start doing TV news, and fortunately, it works out, and I get to St. Louis by the, at the age of 23. But a couple of years in, it's like, well, I don't really enjoy this, even though this was like my dream to get back to St. Louis. This, I, 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 My contract came up in 2003, a three-year deal. And, uh, and I had just won in 2002, October of 2002, the best sportscaster Emmy in the Midwest and the best sports reporter Emmy in the Midwest and an Edward R. Murrow award. And I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm going to get a bunch of money in my contract negotiation. And Alan Cohen, the general manager at the time looks at me and just like has to look at me like, oh my God, you know, it's like me playing a 30 handicap and goes, yep, we can give you this 2% raise to your deal. And I'm like, but I just won all these Emmys and awards. He's like, yeah, it's all we can do. And I'm kind of, and he's kind of looking at me like, what are you gonna do about it? And I'm like, oh my God, he knows I can't do it. What am I gonna do? Leave? So if you're asking for a regret, my regret would be that I didn't take advantage of the fact that I was only 25 at the time and certainly could have gone and done something in another market. But I wanted to be in St. Louis. That was important to me. You're asking about location, that was important to me. Um, but that is how I got into the career I got into. So you wonder, you know, now at 42, kind of at the halfway point, um, I guess beyond the halfway point, as far as life goes, halfway point career goes, um, what is it really is really the best thing to do pursuing something that you enjoy doing? Or is it better to pursue something like if I would have gone into law school or finance or, you know, and I don't think I have the mind mathematically for finance, um, or just focus on business like Gangster Pete here in his MBA. And I, and I I don't know on that. I think, I, think I, I would guess that a lot of you who do make a large amount of money, but are either bored out of your mind by your job or hate your job, look at me and are jealous. And then... I would maybe tell you some of the stuff that we've gone through to keep the show together. And you'd go, Oh my fucking God. Maybe it isn't all it's cracked up to be uh, because seven to 10, as I always say is the greatest. It's the shit that goes on afterwards that, that we've had to deal with. And some of it, like I say is, is public and some of it's public, but inaccurate. And then some of it's all, well, most of it is private, uh, all by design. Uh, and it's pretty rough, you know, um, it's, it's, it has, that hasn't been easy. Uh, when my wife and I think about having another child, the tumultuous nature of the world in which I work is a factor, you know, candidly. So, um, you know, that's, that's that, that these are the things. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean. But at the same time, I can't imagine many people enjoy what they do for a living more than I do. So I don't know. But at the same time, the other, th- the other thing is I would say, and I've said this, and Doug has said this when we're being serious about all this stuff, and the cat has said this, for as much as we joke about it, like don't go into this stuff, don't go into this stuff, we're like lottery ticket winners. And by that I mean not not financially, but um like when, when you look at how many people at the age of 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, or even the people who do get jobs kind of like, you know, in the small markets to start out and are therefore still in the game, how many people want to do it? And then how many people are really still doing it 20 years after leaving college? I mean, you're talking about, my God, it, it if it's, if it's 5%, I'd be shocked. Now one could say, well, it's because you don't have any other marketable job skills, and you're kind of cornered, and that would be fair. Um, but it also, you know, there's an enjoyment factor. But it, you know, it all kind of ties into the first question of, you know, the enjoyment of the job. But yes, but there's also a consciousness of this will not last forever, and uh, and it may become more of a job. So i still, even to this day, even with what we've been through, believe that if you can find something you love to do and find somebody dumb enough to pay you to do it, that's the win. Because when it's all said and done, you know, happiness is the currency for me, maybe for others. You know, I had somebody who certainly is wealthy, um, and, and not like hiding it, uh, say to me, we were having lunch, I don't know, a month or so ago. And the person says, Tim, don't let anybody tell you money doesn't buy happiness. Cause I'm telling you I've been rich and I've been poor. And this is a hell of a lot of fun being rich. And I'm like, Oh God bless America. I kind of liked it. You know, some people might go fuck you. Cause now it's in vogue to like hate on people who have money. But, uh, I enjoyed it. He wasn't saying it from a brag perspective. Uh, was just saying, you know, I've been there on both sides of it. This was not an old money conversation. And, uh, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if I were making like three times as much as I was making right now, but hated it and dreaded coming to work, I don't know. Gangster Pete, what do you think on that? Ladies and gentlemen, Gangster Pete and NBA.
1: I've been on both sides, too. I mean, I've made a lot more money in other jobs, but I put it a premium on enjoying what I do. No. Like I think it's so much fun to come here, even though I make a lot less than I have in the past to do something that I enjoy doing and hang out with people and laugh and have fun. But at the same time, it would be nice to make more money. So, I mean, the grass isn't always greener. Uh, if you're a rich guy like the guy you were having lunch with.
0: You have no idea, at least for the purpose of this conversation. That is who true. I'm I don't know who he's Thank talking you. about. Exactly.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'd much rather take the money.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's a, It's a, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's a, t- I don't know. Um... So, specific to your question, J.W., for me personally, is what you wrote. I just want to be satisfied and content with the work I do and the relationships I build along the way. I read that. My tell is you are more of an idealist, which is good. I think I'm an idealist. That doesn't mean that those who are not, that's bad. But I can relate better because we have that similar quality. And therefore, I would tell you, do what makes you happy. If you are really consumed with how much you make, um, which I think everybody is, it's just to varying degrees, uh, then maybe listening to me would not be the right approach. Because again, I mean, and I say it, and, it's, and I hope it doesn't come off as a brag. It comes off as a cautionary tale. We're lottery ticket winners. Just to get a job. I think, I remember the guy who hired me at KMOV, and my, he might have just been saying this because I'm 23 years old and he can tell me anything. But I, I, knowing the business and knowing it now even, uh, it certainly, I think he said there were 183 tapes on his desk for the job. Okay, one and 183 is a lot. You know, I mean, it's just, so for as much as we joke about it, and certainly the industry is not something I would recommend people, I, lottery ticket or not, I wouldn't recommend people getting into it. And I don't even know, I don't even know what sector of the business I could say, yeah, do that. Play by play, nope. But if you're Joe Buck, it's the tits. Uh, Sports anchor on TV, nope, no way. And I don't even know where I can say it's a good situation there. Yeah, people in it kind of get irritated when I say that because it's like I'm letting the secret out. But you know, ain't where you want to be. That's a hundred percent where you want to be. Um, you know, I, 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 I the podcast thing. There's there's something Buffalo Springfield. There's something happening here, but it's not just for everybody. Like everybody has a show. Not everybody, but for real, a lot of human beings have podcasts. A lot of human beings have podcasts. And I guess if it's a way for like you and like 15 of your friends to listen to you talk, it's great. But if you like want to make it a career just because you have a podcast, it does not make it something that you can, you know, build, build a a sustainable income on. But if you already have an audience, it's a way to branch it out. So it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Like I've heard Stern like kind of go. If you have a podcast, you're not really broadcasting. Well, I I would agree with that, but there's some contingencies on it. If you already have an audience, Joe Rogan, Bill Simmons, um, you know, David Axelrod, uh, but Mark Maron did not, and he built it to his credit. You know, you can you can you can generate revenue, but just like starting a podcast and then talking and going, okay, I'm going to do what he or she does or what they do. And we'll have the same, so that's not realistic. Uh, but I also think most more times than not, it's people who are kind of in a spot in their lives where they don't necessarily need to be making money. It's not people with wives and families that just start podcasting. Okay. This is what I'm going to do for a living. Um, so JW, I really like the question as always. Um, we get really good questions on these things. They make me think, Uh, and I like having gangster Pete in here, uh, to get his thought on it, because a lot of these are kind of TMA slash career related, uh, to see if I'm on the right path on this. So yeah, man, I'm telling you, I say this, I say this, you know, when I'm talking to people about jobs and I, and I, and I really mean it, I've meant it for years. You can't put a dollar value on lying in bed on Sunday night and not dreading the next five days. Now, that doesn't mean that it, it it supersedes every other part of your your judgment on whether or not you want to do something. But I've been there not often in my career, but I've been there. Uh, really kind of the 2007 Morning Grind era where it was a tough time. Uh, and and I would lie in bed going, oh, my God, how am I going to get to Friday? And where I would appreciate the the weekend like never before. Because before it's like, oh, the weekend's coming. That's fine. But it's not like I'm like, oh, shit you know, good. I don't have to go to work. It'd be like, Oh, I get to sleep in. But it wasn't like, Oh good. I don't have to go to work. But that's a time for a few months where it was a living hell. But my, my understanding is for a lot of people, that's the way that it is. And they get the Sunday scaries and they're dreading the next few days. They get anxiety and the misery of the whole thing. And, uh, and that's, there's something to be said for that, but it can't be at all. You can't go, okay, I'm going to make absolutely nothing. So I don't have to dread work. Uh, ideally you find the balance, which I know is a cop out, but, but there's something to be said for that. But, uh, JW, it sounds like you're on the pursuit of happiness. And I think that for me, I think that's the the right play. All right. Well, how am I doing on time? Cause I have a lunch here at noon and it's eleven eighteen. What have I gone about 40 minutes? Mm-hmm. An hour. Really? All right. Next question, Tim, let's say you were to go to some alternate reality where you had to launch TMA purely as a podcast with the intention of monetizing it at some point. You can take your knowledge of the business and what you've learned with you, but there's no name recognition for you. Any other hosts are inside STL. How would you go about launching and promoting TMA, the podcast, in this alternate reality? Gangster Pete, before you even hear my answer, let's see how well you know me from working with me for almost a year to the day, I think. Uh, what do you think my answer is to this question?
1: Can you repeat the question?
0: Oh, my goodness. Tim, let's say you were to go to some alternate reality where you had to launch TMA purely as a podcast with the intention of monetizing it at some point.
1: Well, how do I monetize? That's your first question. (laughs) That always is the first question.
0: You can take your knowledge of the business and what you've learned with you, but there's no name recognition for you or the other hosts or inside STL. How would you go about launching and promoting TMA the podcast in this alternate reality?
1: So you have no name recognition going into it? yep how would you do it yep uh go to the fan page
0: <laughs> the answer is i would not do it right and i feel like part of me and i could be wrong my read is this person's thinking about starting a podcast that's what it sounds like. <laughs> which is fine and
1: there's nothing wrong with that but the built-in audience like you were mentioning that, yeah, earlier that's, coincidentally, that's the this, big thing th- that
0: was my next email after the one that i just read for real um And it wasn't scheduled out that way, but it makes it sound like there was preparation on this, but there wasn't, I assure you. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. I I just wouldn't do it. And And I know that's like really concise and might come off as like flippant, but that's my honest answer is I would not do it because without the audience and without the recognition, we would have nothing to present to advertisers and therefore we would have no revenue and therefore it would be a hobby. And then you can go on social media to like your 28 followers and go. I'm getting fucked. Nobody will hire me. And then you become that guy. Uh, but that's that's you know, there is something to. But it's an awkward thing. Greg Amsinger said this, the guy from MLB Network. I think I think this was before. I think he was, this was right at the tail end of Seamar's time. You weren't on that one. Were no, you? I was on that one. Oh, that, you were on that, that one. That one was great. You were on that's that one. One of my first ones. Okay. And I always kind of I but I don't because I can't. You can't quantify it. It's a, it's like the the Supreme Court's definition of um, obscenity. You know it when you see it. So it sucks. But Amsinger, and I guess it's to his credit. Um, he goes, yeah, you know, you know, all these people they complain they don't jobs. Hey, sorry you're not talented. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. Uh, yeah, but I mean the thing is, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I guess I. But it's, I don't know. It's at the same time, like there might be like, like, what, what am I into right now? Golf. What will I be into in two years? God only knows. And whatever it is, I'll be obsessed with it. You can count on that. It's so fucking weird. But like golfers, like, aren't like, yeah, I shot a 65. I'm fucking incredible. They're just like, yeah, I shot a 65. I don't know. This is just kind of what I do. And I'm like, oh my God, you shot a 65. How do you hit the ball with that right to left trash? And how do you get the ball to do that? You know? I don't know. It's just what we do, you know? And, and so they just kind of have, you know, but if they say that it, it, you know, like we're talented, sorry, you're not like I did an interview with Steve Klein. There was going to be a work stoppage and it, God, I don't know how this happened, especially now that I got to know him well. And he was the Cardinal player rep. And I did a television interview with him that all hell broke loose. And in the interview, God bless him. Uh, the governor, as he was known, as the as the player union rep for the Cardinals said, people don't understand. I'm paraphrasing here, but this really did happen. So television interview on KMOV, people don't understand it. But anybody can become a doctor or a lawyer. Not everybody can throw a ball 95 miles an hour. And as you can imagine, that didn't play well. Uh, now, the first part, of course, is not true and then the second part is you have a guy who's making millions of dollars a left-handed reliever kind of going too fucking bad, you know, and they're trying to win the public over, he's the union rep. So it did so I don't know. I it's it's just, it's the it's just not a it's just not a good business, but I'm not saying it's not a good business because of any other reason than it's just it's a tough business to really I don't know. I you know what it be? I think would be interesting. It also would be awkward, but I'm going to at least for a moment venture down this. Who in St. Louis, and I'm not talking about Joe Buck, so I'm talking local. Who in St. Louis, Gangster Pete? I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm really curious about this. In the world of sports casting, would you say has... I don't even, I don't even know what the right way, to I guess has figured it out or has something where you go, yeah, I'd like, I'd like that. You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a firsthand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy got a lady. I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James had been, James had been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton, uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now he still checks in, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which of course was a substantial issue. Um, you know, we weren't covered on, on something or I've forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like, it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. He's like, Hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of. So you're covered. It's just, it's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, Hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me and I go, it's James Carlton here. Let me include him on the on the email, and I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like I'm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up, and I'm like, oh, God, I hope he does okay. The best, the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments. So you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314 961 4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. I mean, Danny Mack has it pretty good. Okay. Yeah. I guess I should take out, I should, t- I guess that'd probably be good, but I'm, tr- I guess I was trying to take out like play by play.
1: All right. Although it's not my cup of tea, what Bernie's done, I mean, he just writes on the website and does his show. Yeah. exactly what he wants to do every day. I
0: guess, night. I guess, and then, and then I go, okay, but that was more writing and that's how that happened because it's, you know, right. So, so my, again, this is, it's, it's almost like a trick question. My answer is really nobody. Um, and I know people are like, what the hell? I don't know. I think Frank, maybe. I'd well, say the whole TMA crew. Yeah, but but see, you, you've you experienced part of it for a year to see what goes on behind the scenes, and now you know. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Uh, you know, what that, some of the things that you, you have to navigate in order to keep the thing together, and that's not easy. I don't think Frank Cusimano has dealt with that. I don't know. Um, I don't, that, that's my, my, my point in asking a question that I realize is awkward is here are all these people. And as you know, there are all these people that, that want the jobs in their teens or twenties and I'm going who, and, and some people might go, well, yeah, maybe, maybe you or maybe Doug or maybe the cat, as you said, or maybe Bernie or maybe Frank or maybe Dan McLaughlin. Um, the Bernie goes, oh, well, a writer, so I'm talking sports casting and Dan's play by play, certainly sports casting without question. But what I'm saying is in this realm of what we do, and the question was about podcasting. So therefore, I wouldn't include, you know, right. sports writing and play by play. And my point in bringing it up is it's just, it's, it's tough. Now, if you can get in and you can, you know, maybe Randy Carricker, but I mean, even Randy was whacked when we were at 1380, you know, and I don't know how, I don't know if he left. I don't know how he left Camel X. I really don't. I mean, I like Randy and respect Randy. I'm not trying to. It's just I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember how that happened. I don't know where he went. If he was let go or if he just went to 1380 or if there was a stop in between. Maybe it was a KTRS. Maybe I don't know. Um, my point is this: it's not easy to. And I know the situations. It's not easy to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Whereas I can go well, look at this person in this field and then like, no, look at this one. This one. This one. This one, this one. That's why I'm saying it's not a good business. That's why I'm saying that. And I hope this comes off the right way. And I'm not doing the thing where I'm jokingly saying I hope this comes off the right way. I really want this to come off the right way because I don't want people, especially if they are in a position with families, to go, oh, I'm funnier than those guys on TMA or I can do what Randy Carricker does or I can do what Bernie does or I can do what Frank does and I'm therefore going to give it a shot. It's just, it's, 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 it's not that it's tough. It, the odds are against you. And then some people get motivated by that. And I'm go, like, good, the odds are against me Then it's going to be a great story when I do it. And I might've been somebody like that. I don't know. Um, like, okay, fine. You're saying there's a, you know, But I remember when I was interning at KFN, Bob Ramsey goes, like, get out of the business. This was 98. And I'm like, okay, it's fine. You can say that. What do you know? You're only calling Billikens games and Cardinals games. How would you know? You know? And I'm like, well, I'll be the exception. And that's the thing. People think they're going to be the exception. And, I, and that's a great way to think. The problem is, I don't even know if there are exceptions because it's it's economics. There are so many people who want the jobs, supply, but there are so few jobs, demand. So it's inverse and therefore you have no leverage. That's the issue. And then the public goes, "Well, oh God, that guy got fucked. Well, if there aren't margins, then the ownership isn't doing anything wrong if they're, well, they're not running a charity. So it's a tough spot. So it's a tough business. So my answer, if the question truly was in a vacuum, what I would do if I were starting TMA up as a podcast with no recognition and inside of any of that stuff, I I would not do it. That's the honest answer. If you're thinking about doing it, I would tell you not to do it unless you have another job that that's how you're going to make your money. And then you can use the podcast as like something to uh, satisfy your creativity and then have an idea of how to build it, but not rely on it as a source of income. I hope that gangster P, you're nodding. You feel like that. Does that come off right way? Yeah, exactly. because you know, you can tell me and you will tell me you can go, go fuck yourself. You're coming off arrogant from a perspective. Nobody you can relate to.
1: No, I mean, without a built in audience, I mean, it's just, if yeah, you're especially looking local. to generate
0: revenue, it's not going to happen right away. It just isn't. I mean, I listen to, there's some podcasts I'm listening. To, oh God, they don't have anything on there, you know? And that's like their main thing. So how the hell are they making any money? All right. Now this is the one, I think this is going to be the cherry on top. Well, I wonder, let me read this email and there really isn't a question on it, but it's just a good anecdote. Uh, Tim, good morning. longtime listener, but rarely email. We exchanged some emails when you posted your price of hope article on inside STL a few years back, a couple years back is what you wrote, but it was uh, at this point, almost seven years ago. Cause it was 2012. My dad was fighting two forms of leukemia at the time and he has beaten it now for almost six years. Beyond that, I was in a golf tournament today in Chicago, and the company that sponsored it uh, had many of the professional golfers they sponsor attend the tournament. All of them were awesome, very close to hockey players in their demeanor, but I wanted to pass along a conversation that I had with Gary Woodland. You talked about Brooks Kepka discussing the PGA Championship last year and how he said it's the best golf tournament he's ever been to. After exchanging pleasantries and congratulating Gary on the U.S. Open win, we started talking about kids and where we were from since he— had just had the Twins. He told me that he was from Topeka, and I said I was from St. Louis. He stopped and asked, did you go to the PGA last year? My reply was that I had been there Saturday, and we were seated on the first hole after they reset for the third round. He said, quote, I was playing with Tiger that day, and that was the best tournament that I have ever been to. We talk about it all the time and how cool it was how the gallery followed Tiger. It was awesome, end quote. I thought he was 100% genuine in his comments, especially with the way that he stopped and then turned around to look at me in the eye when he said I was from St. When I said I was from St. Louis, pretty cool. And further evidence that I think the players want to come back. Uh, have a great night and beat Guy, uh and Mike Lee. Since the caddy makes a difference. Thanks. That comes from Kevin um, Guy, That's a reference to the Fan Page Club Championship, which I know all of you are locked in on and hoping to get my comments. But I'm just going to have to keep those private for a premium subscription podcast. Well, that's great to hear. That's, I just wanted to, I wanted to read that because I set it aside for the QFTA when I got the email. I'm telling you. Um, that tournament really resonated with people. Pete, I left one out there yesterday with Joe Buck, not asking about the PGA. I know it's been a year, but I would have liked to have heard what he had to say about that. Because I did see him out there, but I saw him out there for a practice round. I bet he loved it as a golf nerd. We'll have him know. back. We'll have him back. Joe, can you drive drive back up so I can ask you some questions that I forgot to ask? Um, but yeah, man, I'll be, you know, if I'm not at this point, I would say it's probably 30%. I spend spring training in Florida. Um, I don't know. I really want to. My wife really wants to god at this point once i've done it a couple of years it's like a drug and it's like oh my god i'll be in st louis throughout winter and i'm sure most of you're going fuck you i'm always in st louis throughout winter but um i yeah, i would love to i really i want to make the decision like now so i can like line things up and like have somebody such as gangster pete like live down there and then help produce and get these interviews with the guys in golf who live there and do you know sit down interviews Um, and maybe some videos of, you know, variety of different things. I have all these ideas. Um, and I'd love to get their takes on the PGA championship because I get the sense that all of them, their eyes will light up. You know, if you ask them about the U S open this year, yeah, it was at Pebble beach, but you know, I don't know. There's nothing that really, what do you think of the U S open this year? It didn't, it just didn't kind of, it just kind of like was a blah. It was fine. Yeah. It just was kind of a blah. I agree. You know, I mean, the majors this year were kind of a blah minus the obvious one that we'll talk about forever, which is the the 2019 Masters. But the U.S. Right. Open was kind of a blah.
1: I feel like they're all going to be kind of a letdown after having it here for us. Yeah, and, so well, and also cool.
0: the, 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 what were the two majors we had in a row? The PGA Championship at Belle Reve right, and the Masters with Tiger. Tiger. I mean, how's anything going to compare? Right. But it's not like there was much drama until Kepka started to kind of fumble fucking around. Uh, at the end of the PGA, Woodland wasn't really in much of a sweat. Um, and then, who won the Open? I can't even think of it right now. Oh, Shane Lowry, which you know for me is somewhat interesting just from the a drafting Ireland standpoint. Time cool, but, other than but that, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. You ask a casual sports fan who won the Open, and they're not even going to be able to tell you. So, um, the the 2019 PGA Championship still gets talked about amongst people outside of St. Louis. That's that's my premise. All right. Here is the uh, here is the question. Gangster Pete is a Rogan guy. I think you'll enjoy this. Does he spend a lot of time on cancel culture? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I've heard him talk about it, but I gather that, that he t- spends a lot of time on it. Um, and this comes from recaps. Recaps, apparently a polarizing figure. Are you pro? Re- do you have recaps blocked? I know Iggy and Jay do. I well, you're just not on the fan. He's page not a blip to on a my radar. To be <laughs> <honest>. <laughs> Look at you. Here is what he wrote. He just ha- he has good questions for QFTA. Uh, Tim, I've heard you mention almost in self-prophesizing manners that the show, as in TMA, very well may come to an end as a result of an out-of-context soundbite turning into a social media campaign to have you hashtag canceled. To be honest, I used to think this was a very look-at-me, I'm-too-big-for-my-britches kind of statement. It seemed to be overly narcissistic to think that a somewhat localized personality would garner enough attention for people to give a shit if you botched a word or made a joke at the expense of stepdads or what have you. But I now realize it is a very real and possible outcome. We've seen it with high-profile actors, comedians, and entertainers. But when it happened to Kevin Steincross, I was left shocked and dumbfounded. Is he back on the air? Who? Kevin? (laughs) (laughs) Are you listening to, like— Kevin Wheeler in your headphones or something? I don't, I don't recognize that name. Perfect. Um, I was left shocked and dumbfounded. I don't know if he's returned to work or not, but I believe he was wrongly targeted. and That was in January, I believe. It was at that point I realized it could easily happen to any personality on TMA, especially you. So, with my newfound respect for your acute awareness of the somewhat recent hashtag cancel culture phenomenon, how would you handle it if the Twitter crosshairs were aimed at you and it got legs? The media rewards a juicy eight-second soundbite where a snapshot of a quote is misconstrued, and at that point, it doesn't matter anymore. It could have tens tens or hundreds or thousands of impressions within a day, and most people wouldn't deep dive into your character, resume, or body of work to properly measure the claim. I might be off base, but to me, you come across as neurotically analytical. That's a tight read. So I would be surprised if you haven't yet thought of your immediate 24-hour plan of action and your long-term plan of action if you were tomorrow's unjust target. How do you think you would handle it? Not just personally, but with regard to addressing it. How do you hope you would handle it? And lastly, how should people handle it? I'm firmly against hashtag cancel culture. Sincere apologies are no longer valued or wanted. The Twitter mob is out for blood. Thanks. That comes from recaps. Love the question. Uh, Gangster Pete, uh, any thoughts initially? I realize it was directed to me specifically, but your thoughts in general on cancel culture and what he's talking about.
1: Uh, Rogan's had some great guests on this. Yeah, uh, I've heard some. Yeah, uh, recently. Yeah, I think the whole ending. The whole. Oh, did you
0: hear the one with? Was it with Gervais? No, that was a that was a different podcast. Sam Harris right? with Gervais. Sam Harris, I listened yeah. to that. that was to that was
1: excellent. Yeah, uh, yeah, the whole cancel culture thing disgusts me. Uh, I keep waiting for there to be pushback on the other side. So that what do you mean the other to... side? Because the other side, well, you're not talking about conservative. Because the, 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 the cancel no.
0: culture is more often liberal than conservative.
1: Right, I'm just looking for There's pushback There's a cannibalization in general, going on. Right, but I'm looking for pushback in general where that a Twitter mob can't just decide what's going to happen. Right. Like, I, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, So, yeah, I think people should be able to speak their own minds, and I don't think that the, just because you have a group of people on Twitter that agree with you, you're right.
0: Yes, I agree 100%. I hope that time comes. I wonder, and I'm playing out hands here, like, you know, from 15 months away, but if Donald Trump were to win, if it would be in November 2020, um, which, by the way, if you were to say, Tim, you've got to put $100 on it, uh, I would bet he is going to win. What? Do you, how do you feel on that? I just don't see anyone that's going to take him down right now. Yeah, part of it is that, but I've been saying I think he's going to win, and I've said that for a couple of years, and then I see what I've seen in watching uh, the debates and I'm going, oh my gosh. Well,
1: that's part of the pushback I'm talking about. Like I'm not supporting Trump in any way, but I'm saying the people that can't stand what they see from the Twitter mob, they see Trump is kind of against that. Right.
0: Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I'll tell you something. And it, it's something I kind of hit on often, but I'm so, I really do. It's, I, you know, Like I said, I think I'm a caricature here but the race thing and growing up in South St. Louis and how much it bothered me and still bothers me now. And I see how career like it, I hated it. And as I've said, uh, when I ran for student council president at St. Louis, U high, my entire platform was based on how African American students, we'd probably start with 10 to 15 as freshmen. And by the time the class has graduated, there'd be like three left. And I said, that's a problem. Now it's not, it's not going, it's going to win you an election. But I felt that way, and I felt this way growing up in South St. Louis when I would hear things that I just – it wasn't because I'm like, oh, they said the N-word, and I'm offended. I mean, you're not thinking that at six years old. I would think, well, why is it a problem if a black family moves into the neighborhood? And some of you might be listening to this going, oh, my God, you heard that shit? I'm mean, going 100% heard that shit. Uh, and I bet it's still being said in plenty of places. So I'm very um, – I don't know. I don't even know what the right word. Hypersensitive, like a negative word. It's just something that, for whatever reason, throughout my entire life, I really don't like. And I felt this way before it was like in vogue to not like it. Um, it's like I said. I mean, fuck. That's the nineteen ninety three St. Louis High Student Council <laughs> election. Yeah, somebody ought to pull that from the prep news. I'd like to read it. Holy shit! I think it was like a manifesto. Um, it was odd, but it's how I felt. But in 2019, if I were to make a joke that could be construed by somebody looking to take me out, cancel culture, they could take me out despite the fact that I'd like to think that my track record, people would go, oh my God, of like all the people, that guy's like, you know, like the complete opposite. But it doesn't matter. That's the thing. doesn't matter. And you're destroyed. And then you're then canceling is the cancel culture is the word that's used, but you become untouchable. And by that, I'm not talking about Al Capone. I'm talking about no one can do business with you. No one can associate with you. It's like you go to an island and you're never heard from again. It's dangerous. Because what it does is it curtails discussion. And so the only thing that is accepted is the line of thought that is the most woke. So you have that going on on the left. And then on the right, I mean, my God, you were talking about if we're going to be betting on things involving politics. Do you really honestly think that the Republican Party, like if you got these people individual and they knew that it would never get out, what do you think of President Trump? Do you think they go, oh, my God, we think he's the greatest? No. Now they might go, well, I really like his policies, or, you know, I'm really pro-life, and I like what he's done with the Supreme Court, That those things. But, like, do you really think he's, like, you know, they'd go, geez, no. I mean, like what happened when Paul – were you surprised when Paul Ryan said what he said when he left? You know, but but they can't say anything because they know then they will be snuffed out and won't win their next election. So both sides have this thing going. Hashtag both sides, uh, and and it's I think it's so fucking dangerous. It it truly does. Now I don't know if this is just something that happens once you get into your forties, or, but I've never felt this way before. I was really irritated. Not irritated is not the right word. Confused and. I don't know what the right word was because if I use disappoint, disappoint is like a condescending word. It's like what I'll say to Jameson when he like, you know, throws something at me. Uh, I don't know. I just remember watching the United States invasion of Iraq. I was covering Missouri in the NCAA tournament in 2003. So I was in Indianapolis and watching that on TV and just going, oh my God, what are we doing? That's where I, I was thinking in that moment. I just oh, my God, what are we doing? And that's why I hold politicians in the highest of esteem who voted against that because it was very unpopular. And it was a judgment call in the moment. And it took a great deal of courage uh, to go against the grain at that time because you're kind of lambab. Remember Freedom Fries and all that shit. Um, So I'm looking for that person now. And when I watch the Democratic debate, I don't really see it. I still say Buttigieg. I see things there that I like. Um, and I, and as I've said before on this, uh, I don't know if he's electable, but then when I say that I go, but dear God, four years ago, what I've said, Donald Trump's electable. Absolutely not. So it's like, who can, but I'll tell you this, the, uh, if Joe Biden is the guy I just don't know how in the world Donald Trump is defeated. I mean, he's just, he just doesn't have it. He might have it as a might have as a sidekick, so to speak, you know, but as the main guy, I don't see it. So that's why I continue to say I still think the nominee might be somebody who hasn't announced they're running. Now, you didn't ask me for my opinion on the 2020 election. You asked me about cancel culture. But when I, I bring it back to politics, because I feel like there is a really large portion of the American population the electorate, if you'd want to use it as such. But I think these would also include people who would not be people who would be enthused about voting in November, 2020, who are wondering what the hell's going on. But in order to wonder aloud what's going on, you risk being the target of the cancel culture. And that is powerful. And so it's go along to get along and, or get along to go along. And, and then it leads to just like, if you're on the right, you just kind of go, okay, this is fucking really weird, but I guess everything's okay with the economy. So, okay. Or, boy, this is really fucking weird, but we're getting pro-life justices and that's the most important thing to me. um, or if you're on the left going, God, I can't stand President Trump, and I really disagree with what these people are saying in the debate, but anybody but Trump, so go along. Or, oh, my God, Joe Biden, I really like Barack Obama, but this is clearly not Barack Obama, but anybody but Trump. And I kind of feel like that's what's going on. Because if you say, if you stand up and say, hey, this is fucked up, then, I, then both of them can come and get you, and they cancel you out. So specific to TMA, I get somebody thinking, like, why the fuck do you think you or your show is big enough that it would lead to a social media takedown? Well, my answer is because I've already been there. I've already been there. Not TMA, but I've been there. And it's probably why I am as um, conscious of what can happen. Because I went through it with the Albert Pools thing. One of the darkest times of my life. Really was for a variety of reasons. Many in like three people know, like, like really, 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 really why. Really um, but it was brutal, it was brutal. It's brutal. I'll always remember people, some of whom I'm not even that close to, uh, not because like we don't get along, but just like it came out of nowhere when they like texted or emailed, like, just like Joe Buck was one, um, just kind of as a people say, ah, oh, Joe's this or that. I'm just there's just a little peek behind the curtain there. Like a lot too, by the way. A lot. Like I think he was I think he was calling the game on Fox that Saturday, as a matter of fact. Um but then like later in the week, checking on and just um but but he wasn't by any means the only one. Um The Cat, I recall when that was going on. Uh and the cat and I have butted heads over the years. Not like a lot, but uh, he was there when that shit was going on. Um, and, uh, Joe Strauss and Brian Burwell in a big way. Um, and then there were some people just like, good, I fucking hate him and good. You know, even though they're like, yeah, he had nothing to do with this, but it doesn't fucking matter. Good. And then there were people who, of course, I didn't know who were just attacking me on social media or became like a topic on radio shows all over the country. And they're like, oh, fuck this gun. I just had no idea. And it's like, if I laid out what exactly happened, people go, oh, my God. Uh, But then I'm reigniting the whole thing. But the reason why I say this will happen is because I've already lived it and I barely survived it. So and I had to survive it by like it's almost like at the end of Star Wars where Luke Skywalker is flying through whatever the hell it is that he's flying through. And he's like, use the force. And I'm like, okay, this is completely counterintuitive to what I think I should do. But I have this very, I have a couple of very wise people instructing me on how to handle it. And so I just take my hands off the steering wheel. Like, okay, I'm going to use the force. And we got through it. Totally. If I were operating by myself, totally counterintuitive to what I did, And God only knows what happened because it was torture. It truly was. And in, in the social media it's truly torture. Um, and, uh, and, and, and as far as ranking the things that made that torture, the social media pitchfork mafia element of it, um, was not, you know, one of the top reasons, but it, it, it all it did was add to it and it was brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Um, and I'm, and you're just reading people. And some of whom weren't like dog, dog avatar accounts, or as the Plowhawk likes the sunrise picture accounts, uh, like really believing that they thought they knew what was going on and then just attacking. And it didn't matter what I was going to say. Now, the issue there with that one part of the using the force, so to speak, was I was instructed not to say anything. Uh, that was part of the whole thing. Um, so in this situation, what is the difference now? How would I handle it now is one of the questions uh, versus 2013. First off, two things that immediately come to mind right away. First off, I have no idea what the context would be. Um, you know, is it, is it is another situation where it's not a show I'm hosting, uh, but I'm perceived to be responsible and how I would handle it? Um, or is it coming from my words? Is it coming from somebody else's words on the show that I host? Is it a social media thing that wasn't on the radio, but one of my co-hosts said on social media, you know, there's all these different ways it can happen. You have that. Secondarily and, and candidly, I would say uh, there's no need to use the word candidly because it's not really that candid. It's just the way that it is. But, uh, biggest difference is most important thing that I would say that's different now in 2019, as opposed to 2013 is I am really lucky and I can't, can't overstate this enough. Um, because it, it's, it's huge. It just means the world, uh, to have people around who work with me, um, is, I don't know coworkers advisors how whatever term you' would want to use um that we would that that it would be you know it would be it i don't know it just it would be you know um I don't even know i guess it's just say handled properly makes it like you're handling like a like you're like you're like a, like you're like Ray donovan you know like you're like a fixer um but I'll tell you what the, the, the reason why the cancel culture continues to win as in those who get the things canceled is I'm sure a lot of these businesses, um, go, okay, we need a sacrificial lamb. It's not worth fighting back. Fuck it. You know, here's your severance package. You got to be the one to go, uh, or we've got to issue the apology and say we're disgusted by the whatever it is. You know, I saw in the Epstein case, the warden, uh, at the, uh, at the jail has already been reassigned. It's like, okay. You know, I mean, like there's, if you couldn't have bet on that, um, you know, I mean, there'll be more. Was the warden really responsible? No, but it's just, it's the way that you start giving, giving people their blood. Um, you know, how does it stop? I don't know. I, 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 I don't know part of me is like, okay, it's going to take somebody to go, okay, I, I might lose it all. And somebody who actually can't lose it all, like in other words, not somebody who's a billionaire uh, or not like an apple or something like that and go, I just think this is wrong. I know this person, I know that this person was not espousing racist views and you can hate me and you can form a boycott and shut this thing down, but I'm not going to fire this person because I'm sick of seeing good people who weren't doing something bad uh, get taken out. And so now you can take me out, but you can't take him out. The problem with that, if we want to play out the hand, is you then, assuming that there are people who work with you, and by that I mean, I guess, for you, uh, you're now putting their jobs at risk. You know, so you can be the martyr, but... If that's going to lead to the business you're operating getting shut down, well, now you're risking the jobs of the people who work with you and then, therefore, the lives of their families. And see, that's the stuff. So this stuff is really, it's kind of, you can workshop it on a podcast and it's, yeah, I would just do this. Okay, you would do this. Okay, then what would you do about this part? Well, I mean, that's just, you just got, well, no, but this is, this is what's going to happen. So what would you do about this part? Because this is a decision you're going to have to make. Are you comfortable with this blood on your hands? And that's the tough part about it. So from a cancel culture standpoint, and I don't want to make it out that it's a strictly left thing. This will be great. This will, this will be a podcast where I'll get people on the left that hate me. Um, but I think it's more often there. Uh if President Trump is reelected, maybe that's the mirror that is held up and go, okay, this isn't right. We're doing something wrong here. But, you know, at the same time, um, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, in 2012, when Mitt Romney lost, people were going, I don't know, when a Republicans ever going to be back in the White House? You know, they're going to have to re- I remember there was the famous autopsy of the party. And then, and then look where we are four years later and and where we are at this moment. So I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, I thought Sarah Palin was going to be a one-off. And as it turns out, she's like a founding father. So, you know, I, 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 I don't know how it's going to stop. I really don't. The anonymity that these platforms provide and the fact that outlets that are supposedly credible then will prop up these anonymous tweets as evidence of justification for whatever particular story it is that they want to fill a 24-hour news cycle with is one of the main problems on the whole thing. In the podcast that you will hear with Joe Buck, we talk about um, how Joe used to, right after he called the 2004 World Series, there were a bunch of sound on, by a bunch, I mean like two sound off letters. That section in the post is badge for like older people bitch about shit that they don't like. I can't, I'm sure like right now they're unhappy about the Cardinal logo changing like, like by a sliver by, if I know my audience and by my audience, I mean the market, that's what, that's what they're pissed about. Uh, but they were bitching. Joe Buck was totally against the Cardinals during the whole world series. And Joe goes, they got swept and they never had a lead. When was I supposed to be for the Cardinals? And then goes, by the way, do you know anybody who would ever write in sound off? This was like right after, this was the day the Cardinals traded for Mulder. So it was like right after the 04 season, before the 05 season. Okay, we've now normalized the sound off section and propped it up as like a source of of credibility that can then take people out. Can you imagine in 2004, if I would have gone, well, you know, Doug, the cat, I got to let you guys go because did you see the sound off letter? But that's what we got now with Twitter. And these outlets will show screenshots, you know, somebody with like eight followers and you know it's a burner. There was backlash today on, you know, look on it, look, take your pick. I don't give a fuck if it's Fox News or CNN, whatever site you want to go to. And you will find a story on the front page about backlash or outrage on social media. That's what the stories are built around. And so we're fueling the fire of the cancellation culture. So what would I do? The honest answer is, what is the circumstance? Was it me who said it? Was it one of my co-hosts who said it? Was it said on our air? Was it said on social media? There's so many different things. Am I back in a position where I'm operating a station And now I got to answer for a show that I had nothing to do with, but it was on my watch. And therefore I got to, you know, I don't know. Um, If it is me and if I am the one who caused it and I am going to be canceled, I move to Jupiter, Florida. That's where you can find me. That's where you can do the where are they now piece. That's where you'll find. You'll have to like probably a Juno Beach Cafe on a Sunday morning. That's where you'll probably track me down. That's where I will be. But I'll just be gone. And in a way it's like, Oh, that'll be sad because my family's here, but that's just what I'll do. Um, that's what I, that's what I've thought through. You're right. Uh, Timmy recaps. I have thought through it. That's what I would do. Um, just, it's kind of like, all right, had a great run, you know, at this point we're approaching 20 years. That was great, but that's what I would do. But as far as like how it would be different from what I did experience, which is why I am hypersensitive to it now. um, I just have fortunately people who work with me who, you know, are just, you know, it, it just, you know, I don't even know what the right word for experienced and wise, um, you know, where you can, uh, it's just, a, it's just a different, it's a different situation. But again, that doesn't mean that we, that we, that we slay the beast. It's how do you manage the beast? It's like stranger things. I mean, you know, that fucking thing's coming back. It's just for the, how do we end it this season? Okay. How do we, and that's the thing. It would be great. I mean, it's, what article did I, oh, no, it was the thing you were talking about, Pete, the Sam Harris, Ricky Gervais podcast about, do you really think these people are espousing racist views? Isn't that what initially the concern was, is that we have racists in positions of power and we need to weed them out. Well, now it's like McCarthyism. Now we're looking for people who aren't communists, but just to keep the movement going because we're funded by it, that. We're going to keep acting like this person's a and This person's a racist. And this person's a racist. And I'm just really, there are plenty of things that fire me up, but that one really fires me up. And as I always say, it's like a signature element of the podcast. I did not vote for Donald Trump and there will be no circumstance in 2020 in which I vote for Donald Trump. I can assure you of that. However, to label all of those who voted for Donald Trump as a racist is so fucked up. First off, it's just factually wrong. And then secondly, you're missing the point. And all you're going to do is repeat history. If you're unhappy about 2016, just wait till 2020. So this throwing them being a racist around thing, it's and I think that's where you find a lot of people, Who might go, God, I really am confused by this Donald Trump thing. But I got to tell you, I watch these Democratic debates and it's like they're making me out to be the enemy. And I don't think I'm a bad person. I know I'm not racist. I know I'm not prejudiced. If anything, I hate that shit. But now I feel like they're kind of like coming after me. What the hell did I do wrong? And I think that's a real problem. And so those people, because if they did put that on social media, it might be labeled a racist. They don't talk, and so we don't have an honest discussion. It's a real problem, and it is not like the finish line is November 2020. That's the thing I keep. I think I think there is a misnomer that the finish line is November 2020. It is not. So the cancellation culture thing is something that I am. I, I mean, I don't. I don't really think about it for TMA or for myself anymore. I just. I think that's kind of how the the show will. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much I really think it's how the show will end. Um, I certainly think it's possible, but, um, with that all said, um, it's a great question because I think it's a real problem. All right, there it is. Another question from the audience in the book. Thank you for all the questions. Thank you for our sponsors, Ryan Kelly, the home loan James Carlton, Mark Hanna, Johnny Landoff and Seth Goldkamp and designer heating and cooling online at designer Thank you to gangster Pete. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been the Tim McCartney Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.